the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello, I'm Tiffany McTaggart. And I'm George Gawley. Welcome along to the Animal Health and Welfare series of podcasts, which is brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. During 2021, we'll be bringing you eight podcasts. We want to provide you an insight into latest strategies which are being both developed and implemented with the ultimate aim of improving the welfare of our livestock. Over the course of the next year, we'll be disseminating topics such as precision livestock farming, genetics, behaviour, disease and resistance and how these challenges can be overcome to allow us to meet the challenges of the future. For this podcast, we're doing things a little differently. I'm going to be recording this podcast whilst a post-mortem is being carried out in front of me and hopefully bring to you what goes on during a post-mortem. Having a post-mortem is useful to identify cause of death and reason for poor performance in your livestock. You can easily speak to your vets if you're concerned about any of your animals and considering post-mortem could be an option. Post-mortems can be carried out at one of the disease surveillance centres. These are in Aberdeen, Dumfries, St Boswells and Thurso. Post-mortems are a cost-effective way to find out what is wrong with your animal. Places vary depending on the age and type of animal which you bring in. For this podcast, I am joined by Ian McCormack who is a veterinary inspection officer and he'll be carrying out the post-mortem. We'll also be joined by Connie Rafferty, who is a technical support officer. Hello, Ian and Connie. Hello. Connie, just to start by telling us um, a bit about how you prepared for the post-mortem. Okay, so every morning, as part of the daily routine, we have to come into the post-mortem room and make sure that it's clean from the day before. So this morning, I came in, probably spent about half an hour, 40 minutes, just making sure all the surfaces are cleaned and disinfected. Our post-mortem cupboard is stocked for the day ahead, so that includes all the, the pots that we would use for the sampling, any PPE, and any disinfectants that'll have to be stocked up. And then, yeah, just to make sure it's all clean, and then obviously wait for a sample. And today we do have a, a post-mortem in, so, so yeah. So Ian, do you want to tell us about what the post-mortem that we've got in is? Yeah, sure. So this is a, a lamb, a Suffolk cross lamb that was born this year. Um, I spoke to uh, a vet in practice um, this morning on my way into work. Um, he encouraged his client to bring this lamb in because uh, it's representative of a group of about 100, I think, yeah. Yeah. that weren't uh, in a particular field, they weren't doing, uh, weren't performing as well as they should do. So um, they, they're not sure why they're not performing. Um, and so the vet had recommended that the best way forward to try and diagnose any problems that are going on uh, would be to do a post-mortem examination rather than, say, take bloods or feces from, from live ones. Probably, they, they always say you learn more from the dead than you do the alive. And I think this is a good example of the lamb. So this uh, lamb came into the lab, a live um, farmer 
very kindly gave us like a history of what the treatments are and what the problem would be. So we try and chat to them and the staff and make sure that then we get as much information from the farmer as we can um, to get the story. Um, and then um, we take some bloods from the animal and examine the animal and listen to the heart and the chest and the church ruminating. So we did all of that examination before we started this morning. Um, and then we put the sleep put to sleep the, the lamb um, by lethal injection um, and we've taken some bloods before we did that as well because um, we sometimes get better value from the, the bloods from the live animal than the one just now get. So that's the process and then we've uh, brought it into our post-mortem facility um, on his way the lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, 23 kilos. 23 kilos, so it's not... Uh, Particularly heavy lamb for this time of year, really. It's born in April. So, um, and then we'll just have a look and see what we can find. Okay. That's the plan. Yeah, so this farmer's lost five in the last two weeks, and the only clinical signs he could give us were that the animals just appear not to be thriving. However, Ian noticed when just before we were about to put the animal to sleep that it does have a very crusty nose. Okay. Um, yeah, just not thriving, such as the Ian. There's about 10 in this group that she said were just similar symptoms, but they chose to bring this one into us today. So you do a external examination yeah. before you begin? So, the external examination, I think, interestingly on this lamp, it's certainly got quite a lot of crustiness around its nostrils. Can you see that? Yeah, uh, it's a bit crusty and looking. it's quite crusty around the, the eyes as well. Um, so... You know, that doesn't necessarily tell us what's wrong with it, but it suggests that it may well not have been particularly well anyway. Um, obviously, highlights there might be something respiratory going on, potentially, and um, we don't know. We tend to look at the colour as well. Um, so that's the third eyelid. Can you see that I'm pulling yep. across there? Um, and sometimes, if they're really pale, you'll notice that that's quite white, but that's pretty normal. Colour, so, so kind of a sure. salmon pinky colour. Exactly, yeah, and it's just normal like that. So that's that's fine. Um, we we'll have to check the teeth um, and the dental pad. Um, so obviously this is a young lamb, so it's less likely there'll be dental disease uh, in in these ages. But it's not, you know, never say never. <laughs> it's always a possibility. So we tend to check that over. Um, then we tend to well, I tend to look at the feet um, and see if there's anything untoward, um, any evidence of scald or whether it's progressed to foot rot or, or any problems in the limbs. Um, you can see that the, this lamb's been covered in the remnants of sticky willy by the looks of it. Can you see all that? Um, but we also check yes. the. Uh, the external, you know, surface of the skin to see if there's any parasites, you know, any evidence of lice or sheep's gab or any of those type of things. Um, so obviously a female lamb. Um, we also quite often check them for staining. You know, if the lambs had scour, you would expect this back end here to be probably dirty, you know. Um, but in fact, in this case, it's not particularly dirty that's fairly normal um, and it's not, not massively dirty on this one so um, 
so yeah, so just have a good look and make sure we're not missing something obvious. Um, in this case, with, 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 you know, that, that's fine. And then we'll just start the procedure. So tend just to open up the lamb by uh, cutting in at the front here on the front legs. Until I, until I started through though, I didn't realise how in-depth the post-mortem really was. Yeah, it was very thorough. Yes, yeah. And even if, you know, for example, yesterday we saw one that it was a pig and it had, you know, we were 95% sure it had died due to a twist in the gut. We still take a lot of samples to make sure that we rule out these things. But yes, what animals do you all do here? Um, well, most, mostly sheep and yeah. cattle, pigs, and um, so, you know, most of us you know, normal borders, uh, farm animals. We also do uh, a reasonable number of uh, bird cases. So right. um, we could either get um, uh, lots of poultry and um, chickens. Uh, we also get a, a reasonable number of sort of wildlife cases. Yeah. Um, so police, yeah. like um, you know, police cases, sometimes for birds of prey, buzzards. Things like that. Interesting. So, um, every day is different, <laughs> and I suppose that's a bit we enjoy about it because we we never quite know what we're gonna what we're gonna have in. So you've opened up the sheet by cutting yeah, so at all four joints on the top of the legs. That's right. Yeah, and then we'll just basically open up the front here, and so heading towards the head. We try and do it as a set procedure. Um, Obviously, haven't not been. You know, when I'm doing these, I'm trying to do it the same way every time. Reason being is that then I don't miss anything. That um, sounds very sensible. You know, yeah, it's easy to rush to the obvious lesion if that makes sense, or you know something that's uh, obviously wrong. Um, and in that case, you, you can miss uh, something else that might well be really relevant to the. To the case, so that's why I try and do the post mortem in a, in a sort of similar manner every time you do that, then you, you, you often avoid missing any uh, obvious, uh, unobvious things that you want to try and find. So, we quite often will take the respiratory tract out first, or what they call the pluck. Skin the, the rest of the body of the lamb, and that's just so we can get into the uh, into the abdomen, to the belly. So Ian's taken all the skin off the underside of the lamb, starting by taking it from the chest bone up to underneath the chin, and is then taking it across the stomach, and um, so that can then be opened up. So obviously we'll wear a, like a cut, cut proof glove on the, in this hand here, which is my non-cutting hand. That's the uh, safety uh, thing, but uh, I'm trying to avoid any injury to myself. So that's kind of why we do what we do. So that, that's, uh, we all have these uh, cut proof gloves. 
Great, so I'm just going to open up into the abdomen. So Ian's opening up the abdomen so he's able to see the internal organs. That's right. So what are you looking for when you're looking through the organs initially? Yeah, so initially I try to look for uh, any excessive um, body fluid. So if you come and have a look there, you can see this is obviously into what they call the uh, peritoneum, the, the abdominal cavity. Okay. And the peritoneum is this line in here, which you can feel is a nice smooth lining. And you can see there's some fluid just bathed in there, which is normal. I wouldn't say that's an excessive amount of fluid, but that fluid is there and it allows the guts here to slide over one of another. So that's that's normal, but okay. um, sometimes you sometimes find that that's a, a discoloured colour or there's an excessive amount of it. Okay. Um, so if there's, say, some abdominal pathology going on, um, that can often be there. Okay. And, and in this case, that's normal. So we tend to look at that first uh, and just, so I'm just checking the, the lie of the the organs and what's happening um, and then the next thing we do is uh, obviously open up the, the, the into the chest uh, so we have a look at the lungs and the heart and the windpipe and the esophagus obviously the food pipe going down so first thing here is to take the, the tongue out okay so reflecting the tongue there and then obviously we have a look at this at the back of the so that's the hard palate which is obviously where over there and that comes a soft palate here okay and you can just see the back of the of the windpipe and the, the larynx which is just there try and cut through the bones that make up the like the voice box in the back of the lens. You just hear that reassuring crack. Crack when you open the bone. So you've taken out the tongue from underneath the yeah, chin underneath and then the are chin. working your way down so you're able to get the side. Exactly, and, and the windpipe. So that, that, that's the so that's the sort of next stage. So obviously just pulling it down and you can see there look that's the that's the esophagus here okay which is lying underneath the windpipe which is the more white structure yeah yep. does that make sense that does make sense and then so and now we're obviously going to go into the chest so yeah I'll just use this so, um, outcome of big set of Garden shears. Garden shears to now that open was, uh, up the chest. Pathologist's favourite garden implement. But... Yeah. So that's the sound of the garden shears cutting mm. open the bones in the chest. And then that allows Ian to then open it up, open up and see the, what's on the inside. Yeah. So obviously this is us looking into the chest uh, and we can see 
the lungs here, okay, and obviously the heart's around there and that's the diaphragm, obviously the muscles used in breathing. Um, so that is basically the start of the procedure where we, we try and open up everything. So, what what we often do is take the, the the pluck out first, which is obviously the tongue, windpipe, the esophagus, the lungs, and the heart. But in this case, I think because of the what can happen with the guts is that they tend to uh, go off really quickly, and obviously this is coming alive, so we've got a chance to get some really good answers from the gut. So I'm actually going to concentrate the gut first on this particular case just because it gives us a better samples. That makes so, sense. So that's that way that's the kind of procedure. I don't know if we've got the cable ties and mm -hmm. we'll do the so um, so Connie's gone to get some cable ties. Yeah. What are the cable ties for? So the cable ties is to avoid getting uh, gut contents everywhere. Thank you. So obviously one of the challenges we have is that uh, we can we can contaminate the whole of the of the the the, uh, the carcass it just makes our job um, a lot more. It's trying to make it less uh, messy and less contamination um, as we go forward. Um, so uh, what we tend to do sometimes is to find the end. Um, so obviously this is a ruminant, so it's got its four stomachs. Okay. Um, and the abomasum is a very important structure for us to look at. But then we want to start uh, our examination of the gut. So we're going to do the, the stomach separately. And we're going to start here with the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine that we come to. So can you see there how we've got a, a structure here? And then there's a, a very thick muscular pylorus, which is the end of the Yes. and then this is the start of the um, duodenum. So, so it's just about, uh, I want to uh, examine the abomasum and its structures, uh, what's inside it, so I don't want to lose that fluid. So the whole idea of doing this is just to, um, to stop it um, going everywhere. So he's putting two cable ties about a centimetre apart, so yeah. that so you can cut in between yeah, them and exactly. all fluids yeah. stay in their yeah. respective oh, organs. So Ian's struggling to find the other end of the yeah. intestine. Because there's just so much intestines here. Because the intestines just keep going on and on yeah. and on. Yeah. Another thing that we're aware of just now is with FRUC being a, a teaching and research facility as well, well, there's also a number of research pro projects going on yeah. that we could collect samples for. But the only samples we could take from an ovine of this age just now would be samples for red gut, and I don't know if that's anything that you're suspecting, Ian, no. Not at the moment. No. So there's no samples we can take for other research studies within SRUC from this sample, but it is something that we consider when we do the postmortems. So that's good that you're able to go and connect the two together and allow it to yeah. go for research yeah. where, where it fits the bill. Yeah. So what are you doing now? So we're just, uh, we're just going to try and remove the guts as best we can. Okay, so we've got, uh, obviously, uh, we're going to leave the, 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 the four stomachs here. Uh, and we're 
just going to try and uh, section away the intestines as we can. So Ian's managed to remove the intestines from the sheep and he's taken it over to a separate bench to look yeah. at more so thoroughly. So separate benches and the, the beauty of having the post-mortem facility is uh, it allows us to, you know, chopping boards, it all makes it safe and easy to do. Um, so obviously uh, one thing that, that we're always interested in lamb of this age is would be worms. Um, uh, so we're trying to orientate ourselves when we're looking at the uh, intestines. So one of the things we try and always find is the, uh, the end of the cecum, which is always like a blind ending sac, which is like what your appendix is. Okay. So can you see how that's like a blind ending sac? Yeah. Yeah. So we always try and find that bit of the structure and it helps us know where we are. And we always know that this bit of intestine coming in here is called the ilium. Um, and that's a really important area for us to um, look at, particularly in older sheep where we're looking for urinary disease. We quite often find it in this particular part of the intestine or within the cecum. So we tend to find that first. That's like our landmarks, if, you, if that makes sense. And then obviously uh, we've got all the uh, other um, small intestine, which is obviously much smaller. And you can see um, that we tend to then try and examine it systematically, have a look for uh, any thickenings or reddenings or whatever. As I said to you, because the, anim uh, the gut tends to degrade really quickly, the reason we're doing this bit first is, is because of the time element. We know the animal's just died, so we can get on and get the samples yep. at the right time. So it just improves our diagnostics. So if the animal's been dead for a day, you're probably not going to get exactly. much. Exactly. We're not. Yeah, we quite often don't get as much from the gut as we would have, uh, would have liked. We, we can still get useful information, but um, for what they call uh, histopathology, which is where we take sections of the gut and then we look at that under the microscope and we look for various markers of infection or tells us the answers to some of the reasons why they die. Uh, the samples we get for histopathology are so much better if we do this straight away okay. than if we leave it, like as you said, for a day, we're not going to get... Yeah, so bringing in it. fresh yeah. animals or animals exactly. which are still alive gives exactly. you the best so, best chance of identifying yeah. so what I'm is wrong. Just, uh, we'll tend to do use the scissors um, and uh, Connie's got us a pot here ready. So these are the pots that we use to collect our samples in. So using the scissors, he is chopping away yeah, a section, a section like that. off the gut, which he's then... And then what I'm going to do is just open that up uh, along the length of the gut. Now we might not necessarily see anything here, uh, like looking at it, what we call grossly, but we'll certainly find something uh, potentially on the, in the, under the microscope. So what my job here is to take the right, lots of samples from the gut and then my histopathology colleagues will look at these. So we will put formalin into this pot, okay, and have a look at the, under the microscope with any uh, okay. lesions or anything unusual. So I tend to just section the gut and have a look and see if I can find anything that's unusual. Well, that's a good find. So what is that that you're looking a at? A tapeworm. A tapeworm found yeah. in the gut. You see? 
Yeah, so it's a couple of centimetres long, maybe yeah, three centimetres exactly. long. Exactly, and it's uh, so, and we just found that in, and you can see it as I'm opening up that bit of, you can just see the end of another one. Yeah, so by opening up the gut, we're able to find worms. Exactly, which is why we open it up, because we wouldn't normally, um, if I didn't open that, I would never find it. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, um, so he doesn't just chop off the part of the gut, he's then going and opening up so you can then fold it out of the way and you'll find exactly. any worms that are yeah. on the inside. So, like there, you can see there's another the worm same there. section that we've got. So we'll, uh, we'll take that there and put it in for our histopath. And what we tend to do is collect some of these and, and, and just confirm that that's what we think it is. So, the, so, so what they think is a tapeworm is being put into a separate universal, little yeah, universal, universal yeah. which yeah. is also being taken away for further examination. So we're also going to take a swab of the, uh, of the lining of the gut. So what Just, does the swab... Uh, so we're going to do back, what they call bacteriology on that, so we're going to look and see if there's a bacterial infection there. Okay. And, and say something like salmonella or Yersinia. Some of these infections that we don't see loads, but we do sometimes find, we'll get that off a direct swab from the intestines. Okay. So yeah, I'm just swabbing the, the lining of the intestine. We've got some of the contents, and then that's safe. And we'll then send that away to our Edinburgh lab, um, or, uh, and they will do the bacterial growth um, up, at the, up at the lab okay. in Edinburgh. So, so Connie's labelling all the samples which are being yeah. taken. So they're unofficially labelled in the lab, just in case, for example, in case we had three postmortems in one day, they're all put into individual foil trays to make sure that the, the samples actually belong to the sheep or going with the sheep. Yeah. Um, and then Alistair, our colleague, is up the stairs and we use the software called LIMS. So I think it's lab inter-management systems, so he's printing off the official stickers that and correspond with this unique ID number for this case. And everything has to be labelled before we put it in storage. That makes sense. <laughs> Making sure nothing gets so lost and misplaced. In a photograph there, just yeah. a really great tapeworm section. That is a big tapeworm, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so how long do you think that tapeworm is? Oh, several, that's probably, I don't know, at least 10 centimetres, if not more. So what... What we do is we cut up and take a lot of photographs as we're going along and then we can use those photographs quite often like WhatsApp, the local vet, who has sent it in. So if we find something exciting or something different, we actually just let them know. Yeah. And, and it's been a really useful way of sort of communicating between us here and the vets in practice. But it's good yeah. for them to be able to see it as well. Yeah, exactly. That is very long. That is a it's a cocker, I think that? it's about more like 20 centimetres. Yeah. Oh, that one's even longer. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. I haven't got it all. So, very big they only attach by one head section in one bit of the gut, and then okay. they grow out within the lumen of the gut. Um, so, you could see how that was within the gut, but it isn't attached, it's only attached at one bit by the head. Yeah. So, they're not always uh, pathogenic, these. It's, 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 it's an, it can often be an incidental finding or a finding that doesn't necessarily mean that's why this animal was doing badly. Yeah. But it's an interesting finding nonetheless. So, um, yeah, so that's why 
if you don't cut into it, you'll miss that. Yeah, but so also, we're trying to be yeah, systematic about what we do. Yeah, and yeah. finding that tapeworm, feeding that back to the farmer, the farmer exactly. will then be able yeah. to understand he's got a tapeworm on his exactly. farm and yeah. with his vets come up with a management yeah. so plan. So interestingly, these, these lambs had been wormed about three weeks ago, but the wormer they used wouldn't necessarily have treated a tapeworm infection. Uh, so that's, that's something that's really useful for the vet and the farmer to feed back where we are. So um, I'm going to collect the sequel content. So is that the large intestine, or is that something different? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's the, the large, large intestine. intestine. So yeah. this is small, where we found those tapeworms, and then I'm going to just uh, collect some of the contents from there. So using large some intestine. scissors, they opened it yeah. up and collected it yeah. um, in a universal. Exactly, and we can do a, 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 We can look for. Worms, worm egg count, and we also look for uh, the co coccidia, for example, as well. So that's kind of why we do what we do. So Connie's just throwing water over the floor to <laughs> remove some of the content, which has fallen onto the floor. Yeah. So we're just, again, just section, this is what they call the spiral colon. See how it spirals like that, but yeah, like a, it does smile, but like a corkscrew. Yeah, cork like a Cumberland sausage. <laughs> yes, that's So that's fine. And then we also do what they call a total worm count, which is where we uh, take all the intestines. And Connie's probably best place to explain. So the intestines are currently going into a bucket. Exactly. Connie, do you want to tell us a bit more about it? So we take the worm count on the small intestine and the abomasum, only on specific cases where the vets seem necessary, but what we basically have to do is wash out the small intestines into a bucket, get all the contents into the bottom of the bucket through a sieve. I'm unsure what the micrometer is on the sieve. It's a very fine sieve. It means we only cats small sediment in the sieve and then we wash that into containers and those get sent up there for, for the total run that we've done. Okay. So it's it's another technique which uh, it's 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 a bit more advanced uh, in some ways uh, than a worm egg count, um, but it gives us some really useful information. So it's all the worms that this yeah. lamb has got at this time. Exactly. So we, we know from what we've seen um, with the, the, the tapeworms that there's obviously an element of uh, worms potentially in this case. So, but what we're trying to do now is just uh, find out how much, and, and, and it just gives us a, another, it's just another marker of whether or not there's a problem with worms or not. Yeah, so even though it's been yeah. worm three weeks ago, it can show how effective that worm has been. Exactly, and obviously we don't, we're not sure, but uh, uh, I know speaking to the farmer, it was one particular field that they were worried about, so obviously for us we're trying to give them the answer is you know that field may be a permanent pasture and it may well have had using twins on last year so it might have a much heavier worm burden than say a field that's like a silage aftermath or something okay. along those lines yeah, so obviously we're, we're, we're trying to give them as much information as we can about their, their, uh, the worm status of this particular lamb that's coming
if you get lots and lots, and you can see how big they are. They're very <laughs> if they, big. If they, uh, they, they, they can cause it like a physical blockage, you know, like, because there's so many of them and they all get tangled up in, in one bit or another. So basically what Ian's done is given me a bucket of intestines, but he's left the ends over the side. So I have to pick up every end and flush it through three times and squeeze out the contents into the bottom of the bucket. So she's got a plastic funnel, which she is putting the end of the plastic funnel, funnel into the intestines. Which is, looks very fiddly. Yeah. And are you then turning the tap on and yeah. pushing the water down through the intestine? Yeah, cold water through the intestine. Yeah. Sweet film. You can see it filling up. It's important that the first time I done this, I was right over the top of the bucket. And if you ever have to do one, don't do that. Because you seem to understand what would come with splash. <laughs> So it can be a bit of a dirty job yeah. as well. Yeah. So she's then gone and run her hand down the intestine, squeezing the water back out again. Yeah. And then she's doing the same with the next one. And when the water fills up the intestine, it's expanding it and making it blow up a bit like a balloon, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so these samples are sent to Edinburgh for analysis. This isn't a test that, that we do here. However, the fecal sample, well the sample from the large intestine that Ian got before, um, myself or Alistair will have a look at that later under the microscope to see if we can see any eggs from the worms, okay. which is good because it, well, it gives them a, an answer today really. Okay. Yeah, very quickly. But even sending the samples up to Edinburgh, they'll be there first thing tomorrow morning? Yes. Yeah. We have to have every, every sample that we want to go to Edinburgh has to be out of the building by quarter to six tonight and then they'll have it tomorrow to analyse, so pretty quick. Yes. Okay, we're going to see what Ian's doing. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm just finishing off. Uh, so I'm just looking at the lymph nodes that are within the intestinal tract. So yep, you, you can see, see, it, see yeah. a little kind of white, white, white blob. Yeah, <laughs> white blob, which um, obviously sometimes these are getting enlarged or inflamed if they're so Ian's cut off the lymph node and now he's cutting it in half as well and it's going into the pot for, for looking at underneath the microscope as well. So how many lymph nodes are in there? Oh, there's, yeah, tens of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah there's loads of nodes. Um, so obviously we're just having a, and there's, there's loads of different lymph nodes in different areas of the, of the sheep's body. We're just we're just having a, a look, um, but the histopathologist can tell quite a lot from the lymph nodes as well. So that um, I've also taken a, a sample right from the back end of the gut where my tie was. Okay, um, so is that so like that's more like a traditional kind of worm egg count type, you know, fecal yep. sample. So um, I've, I've got that as well. So we, we try and collect that before. Yeah, so that's in its own little yep. tube as yep. well. So that's. And that goes in the bin because we're finished. Okay. That's that's over and done with. <laughs> and then obviously I'm going to uh, I'm going to try and section off some of the other bits that we, we took. So I'm probably going to take this this liver out. So we're back at the sheep, and Ian's using his knife to cut out the liver. Yeah. 
and you can see this liver uh, looks pretty pale to me. Um, so what colour do you want it to be? Well, um, I guess um, a, a darker um, red-brown colour like that is probably more normal. You can see this is a much more pale. Yes, yeah, it's, it's almost yeah. orangey-brown yeah, exactly. in places. So, Obviously, livers in an area that we could we tell a lot from, and, and we will we'll have a look at that next. So I'm just going to section the, the liver off from the rest of the guts. And obviously, we can see here as well that's the gallbladder. Yeah, the gallbladder is much blacker looking. Yeah, and that's obviously full of bile, which they use for digestion. Fats. There's a lot of tape runs in it. So Connie's been going through the <laughs> through the small intestine, and what I've done is I've washed it into this micrometer sieve. I'm unsure what what one it actually is. So that yeah, there's very little water coming out the yeah. bottom. It draining out very slowly, yes. so everything is caught within the sieve. Yeah, but this one's taken particularly long to drain because it's caught up in the tapeworms. Yeah, there's a lot of oh, tapeworms. It looks like you're trying to make like linguine soup yeah. out of it. <laughs> there is a lot, so. Um, so yeah, so what I try and do is I catch the sediment, I remove the, the bigger sections and then I'd wash it into the bucket up to the, the line on the bucket here. And then I would, I would collect two pots so we'd normally do this on the small intestine and the abomasum, so there'd be four yeah, pots. And um, so I'll do the abomasum after this one, but yes, okay. a lot of tapeworms. Yeah, that is a lot of tapeworms. So Ian's removed the liver and he's also removed the stomachs. Yep, so uh, this is the spleen, um, which is attached here to the surface of the stomachs. So try and separate out the different structures. So um, Connie's obviously done that uh, uh, first part of our total worm count and obviously there's four stomachs. Yeah. Um, and we're going to start with the abomasum because we want to collect the abomasum contents to do the second part of the total worm count. Okay. So I'm just going to grab a bucket just using scissors he's cutting into it to open it out and then draining the liquid out into a bucket. Get all that content out. Okay. So we've got that there. And sometimes if they've got a lot of abomasal worms, you can sometimes see the abomasal, you can see so almost like some activity within the fluid. Okay. Um, I'm not seeing loads there, but we'll soon find out. So I just pass that pass that on to uh, uh, Connie and she'll, she'll do this, the second part of that work. So does this go through the sieve as well? Yeah. Yep. Good, and then obviously I'm now going to just check the abomasum. So this is obviously a, a high area for worms as well. Okay. So he's so, cutting open to open it out so yeah, you can see it all laid flat. And you can see that so what I'm really looking for here is what's the, the, the lining of the abomasum? Is it thickened? Is it reddened? Is there any evidence of any worms within it? And again, 
I'm not seeing loads, but I also take a sample of this for so the microscope work. So it's just a bit of the outside yeah. of it. So if there's worms there, it damages the lining of the abomasum um, and it affects the ability of the abomasum to produce acids and we can see the damage under the microscope. So okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's another really useful, you know, is a worms or not worms, is that an issue? So that's good in my pot. Also going for sampling. Yeah. And then I'm trying to have a look at the rest of the, uh, of the, the other three uh, stomach sections. Uh, so obviously starting here with the rumen. Yep. Yeah. The most important part of the rumen, I guess. Yep, it wouldn't okay. be a ruminant without it. It wouldn't be a ruminant without it, you're right. And so what I'm going to do again is just have a have a look inside here and, and see what the contents is. So he's looking at Obviously, the contents of yeah. the rumen. And we know that this has been out of grass, so it's not going to be a huge it's surprise nice and green. if we find <laughs> a lot of grass. But Obviously, sometimes with the sudden deaths that we get presented with, that there is always a chance of a, a poisoning. You uh, might have eaten something yeah, different. Yeah, you know, like a U or, or rhododendrons or, or whatever. Yeah. So, what we tend to do is, is always have a look at the rumen contents and it's see like, is there anything in here that's abnormal. Um, so it's just very grassy and yeah. green. <laughs> just grassy and green, and it just smells like grass, doesn't it? Um, so uh, just, this is just partially digested grass. Yeah. So I'm not seeing any uh, unusual leaves or or structures in there that shouldn't be there. But you, again, if you don't look, yeah, you've got to be thorough and check. And then obviously we then look at the. So the rumen has a, 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 a dorsal and a, a ventral sac, um, and you can see that the way we tell the difference is just that these are the, the, the papillae um, of the rumen, um, this is where all the absorption goes on. Yep, okay. so there's like lots so of rumen, little bubbles on it. <laughs> exactly, and the, you feel, and, the, and the, the, the ventral sac has much thicker rumen papillae. You can see how they just look bigger. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a carpet. Almost <laughs> like a carpet, and this is like a really thin carpet needs replaced. Yeah, which exactly. Which is a dorsal sac, which is which is normal. So he's taking a sample of both parts of that as well to get sent away for uh, yeah. looking at under the microscope. And then cut into the, the reticulum. Um, is it again. called a reticulum because it's reticulated on the inside? Well, the way we tell it, it's got this honeycomb appearance. Yeah, it's very honeycomb. So that's how we know we're in the right place. And then this is what we call the omasum, which will be the, the, the last one that we're going to have a look at. And again, it looks like a like a book, uh, like pages of a book. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and obviously the up. fluid's being squeezed between all these different layers. Layers. So we just check it. Make sure we're not seeing anything Oops. unusual. Um, no abnormalities. Yeah. Um, it's just washing it in a bucket. What's in the bucket? Is it just water? Or? Just water, water just and disinfectant, yeah. Water disinfectant. Yeah. and disinfectant. And it just lets us... Uh, so you can look at it more closely it without closely. having it covered yeah. in exactly. lots of green. <laughs> and I'm just taking a section of 
section of each stomach. So I've got everything there. Good. So that's that bit done. Okay, so he's done with that and the remains are going into the bin. So we'll have a look at this litter. You can see, as we said before, we thought that looked a little bit pale. So um, there's, there's various lobes and uh, the right lobe's always got the uh, bile duct in it. And this is the left here without. So I'm just having a look at the structure, see see if it's um, swollen or rounded. So this one doesn't look like, but it looks pale. So that's that's um, something of note. Um, so what we tend to then do is is cut into the section of the liver. Obviously, so just uh, slicing it like a bit of meat. It, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what I'm trying to do here is just check for any lesions or obviously. You know, uh, later in the winter, this is an area we're often looking for liver fluke. Okay. Um, but I'm not seeing any obvious liver fluke damage on this particular uh, liver. But that's why we do this examination. Yeah. And, and we'll have a look for that. So what we'll, what we'll do is um, we take a section um, and we, we do microbiology on it. Okay. Uh, so I'll still do that up, up, up in, the, in the lab. So we take a section and he'll sear that and then take a sterile sample. So just in case there's a bacterial infection going on. Uh, and obviously uh, I'm going to take a section for the histopathologist to have a look at. You know, uh, I tend to take a couple of samples, you know, we're not just doing one. So samples from different areas yeah, within exactly, the liver. just in case we're missing something that we shouldn't. They don't want the samples to be too thick. So, so that'll do. And then, probably quite importantly from this one, is to look for trace elements, uh, particularly um, cobalt yep. um, and selenium and copper levels. So, the, one of the ways we do that is that we actually measure the levels of those elements within the copper tissue. Uh, sorry, within the liver tissue. Um, so we take a sample of liver that we then use uh, for that analysis. Uh, so that can go so and that, see if uh, yeah. farmer's bolus is working or not exactly, working, yeah, if it's still yeah, deficient yeah, and needing more. Yeah. So we know in this case it hasn't had any trace element supplementation, but obviously the client's worried. And one reason would be, you know, like what they call pine or cobalt deficiency is quite common in lambs and they're doing very well. Yeah. So we, we might get the answer to that of this sample. So, uh, so that's a very samples from the liver. And again, then I, I, I always check the bile duct because uh, obviously later in the year, obviously we sometimes find live liver fluke and adult liver fluke tend to live in the bile duct here. Right. So, I just have a look and see that's normal bile. So you just you opened it up so it runs up. away. Having a look and see if there's anything there. It's just that smooth so liquid. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the. Is that another lymph node? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. We're taking a lymph node we'll off the liver. Make a pathology of the yeah. That's going away for sampling yeah. as well. Yeah. So that's the liver. This is the spleen. 
so what we're going to do is... That's much greyer in colour, isn't it? Yeah, is it meant to be that colour? Yeah, it's meant to be that colour. And it's obviously, it looks much darker red when we cut into it. So if you watch here, you can see how much darker red It's very dark. Yeah. What we tend to do here is obviously border disease is uh, one, one area that we tend to sample for. And we can do a PCR test off a bit of this spleen tissue. We only need a tiny little bit, we don't need very much at all. But we need some, so we uh, we always sample the uh, spleen here, <clears throat> and we're looking to keep that for PCR. So we might we might not run that, but we've got it. We've in got case it we in case you need it. So it's know, better to take it now than needing another lamp. Yeah. Well, exactly. And if you miss it now, we'll we'll never get a chance to see it again. So, so again, we'll um, we'll take a little bit of this. Spleen to look under the microscope, um, so so that's there. But that looks normal, I would say. It's, I'm not seeing anything. And then slicing it. into it in different areas and still yeah, seeing it looking consistent throughout. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's that's that bit done. Get rid of that. So then the liver's going into the bin. Is that finished with? The total one on the albumism is usually darker, but I would imagine that it's because of the, the digestive properties of the albumism against the small intestine. There's a lot more fermenting and digesting going on. So when we do the total worm count in the pot, it's a lot darker in comparison to the small intestine. Right. So this is all the stuff that's been caught, and what I've basically done is I've run water through it until the water that comes to the bottom is pretty clear. And then this is going to get washed into this bucket, and okay. then I'll make up two pots of water. That's just the sediment that you yeah. found. Yeah. It wouldn't go through the sieve. No. And she's also got a pot which has got some of the tapeworms in. Do they yeah. go for testing of some description or uh, what? Mainly for us to keep. We should have a look at them. Right. Um, yeah, I just decided to keep them. I thought it was quite interesting. <laughs> there, so there is a lot of tapeworms. Yeah. And Ian's busy sharpening his knife, ready to continue. Yep. So we're going we're gonna to have a look at the, the plug up here. So uh, I'm just going to section that out. Uh, so just have a wee look at the tongue. Make sure that's okay. Looks normal. And then we'll have a look down the esophagus first um, and just see if there's any areas of ulceration or anything abnormal. So you're just cutting it to open it up so you yeah. can see the inside of it? Exactly. So sometimes in lambs uh, we worry about um, uh, a condition called um, systemic pastrulosis um, and often sometimes we'll get ulcerations around the top of this uh, of the larynx okay yep. which is what you're seeing here in, a, in like the vocal folds there okay and this is what they call the epiglottis which is the the part of the uh, the respiratory tract which closes over when the animal swallows so that it doesn't take food down into its windpipe yeah yeah so that's what that structure is for. So this looks normal on this case, but that's that's quite a classic area for us to see pathology, which is just around this area here, around the folds. And sometimes they get ulceration of the esophagus, which is, as you can see, and if you want to feel it, is really smooth. Yeah, can you feel how smooth that is? 
But yeah, yeah it's incredibly yeah, it's smooth. Incredibly smooth. Yeah, so that's that's good, that's normal. Yeah, but, but if we it was like lumpy or yeah, yeah, something, well, it would be ulcers, like, so it, it yeah. looks ulcerated, red and thickened and, and, and looks angry, and that would be a sign that we were worried about. Okay. Uh, that pastoralosis challenge. I'm not seeing that in this one. So See we're now going into the wind pipe. Okay, and again, very smooth that is. It's, it's like got nubbles, so it's like lumps, yeah. lines all so the way down, lines, a lumpy, so that's the ridges. Cart the cartilage of okay. the trachea, you can see that I've just split into. And then, obviously, that, that trachea is then going down into the lungs. And you can see there, just at that point, it's splitting. Yeah, you can see uh, it go so either going way. To one side of the lung, the left, and one to the right. And we always then go down into these lungs to make sure cause, uh, that. Sometimes we get uh, lungworm infections, okay. okay, and they often are found right at the bottom of these lungs. So he's cutting the lungs open yeah. so we can see the inside of the lungs. Exactly, and we go down both sides of the lung and have a look for that. Um, I'm not seeing any on this case, um, but that is But quite you're still a checking to see if you can find them. Yeah, and then obviously a lot of this is done by field. So we tend to then have a look and see any hard areas, you know, um, we, we, we had a, you know, people talk about OPA or um, Yag-City disease um, and that often is where we get these sort of tumorous reactions within uh, the lungs um, okay. and, and we have, we had a lamb in uh, a few weeks ago that was only four months old and it did have already had um, signs of that within its lungs. So just because it's a, a young animal doesn't mean that that might not be there. So again, we're just having a feel. I'm not feeling anything abnormal. That's, that's normal yep, lung feeling that I would expect normal. to see, but you just never know. Uh, so, um, and again, uh, we do various bits for sampling. So um, we do some for when we look under the microscope. So again, I'm going to take those samples now for the the, the microscope um, part of the, the examination. So, um, again, well, like we did before, we, we need to take more than one section. Just to check the different areas, and exactly. then you'll do that on both ones as exactly. well? Exactly, yeah, totally. And, you know, finally, just a bit like we did on the liver, we're just having a look through the cut section of the lung and we're making sure that we're not missing any abscesses or you know parasites or anything like the thickenings that you might find with OPA which on this particular set of lungs I'm not seeing anything too much but that's fine and then the last bit here we're going to go into the heart so the heart's obviously surrounded by what they call the pericardium so that's the fluid and the lining that surrounds the heart. So can you see how that yeah, is just within a it. sac almost? Yeah, yeah so sac. this is what they call the pericardial sac. So I'll just have a wee uh, so opening up that, that yeah, sac. And just see um, is there any abnormal like hemorrhages or, or anything on the inside? So that's normal fluid. Can you see the pericardial yeah, fluid there? Yeah, you've got there? fluid in it. Yeah, and, and that'll help with moving smoothly. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's, it's obviously <laughs> the biggest, you know, one of the strongest working muscles. 
So that's normal, uh, that's what I expect to find. A small amount of liquid. Yeah, and then we tend to then look at the, the different parts of the, the heart. So just starting on the right side, and cut into the right side of the heart. It's normal to find a, a blood clot in here, because obviously uh, when this animal was put to sleep, its heart would stop working, so the blood within it would just stay. Yeah. So it's so like that, a big ball yeah, of blood. So it's a big ball of blood, and that, that's a normal finding. So we just try and uh, remove basically the blood remove blood. that so that we can have a look at the structures. And you can see here that there's the, there's the heart valves. Yes, yeah, so you can up. see the valves of the, the heart, three valves how it all connects together. Yeah, on the tricuspid valve, as they would call it on this side. It's, got, it's called tricuspid because it's got one, two, three sections to it. And those are the, uh, the, the, the cords that are holding the, the heart valves in place onto the muscle of the actual heart. Okay. So we have a look at those um, and make sure that they're formed normally. And also that there's not a, 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 a hole, what they call a hole in the heart, which would be a hole between this right-hand side and into the left-hand side. Okay. Okay, so that's the septum between the right side and the left, and that looks normal to me, and there's no hole. But again, if you don't look carefully... Yeah, you have to yeah, look carefully to find exactly. it. Exactly. You have to be very thorough throughout the postmortem yeah. to catch. Exactly. Because it's small things you're looking for. It's not some big, great, exactly. obvious. There's no liver there or something. It's yeah. something little. Exactly. And sometimes, if you if you rush in or you go in too quickly, you'll you'll miss um, uh, vital things. Um, so that looks normal again on this one. So we're going to repeat that process, but this is now on the left hand side. Obviously, the left side of the heart is thicker than the right because. The blood that's getting pumped from the right side just goes to the lungs. Yep. Whereas the blood that's getting pumped from the left side is going around the rest of the body. So that obviously the muscle needs to it's be got thicker to be strong. To, exactly to be strong. So um, again, we, we, we almost repeat the process again. And we'll have a look at that. You can see a, that the heart valve here. You see underneath there. Yeah. Um, and the cords. The, the yeah, cord the cords are very obvious, aren't they? They are. Yeah. They do stand out. And there. Uh, up into the uh, aorta where the, the, the blood's getting pumped around the body um, and you can just see the, the beginnings of the, the valves at the top just starting in there so that again is so we're just going to check make sure there's no um, we sometimes get conditions where you get um, uh, endocarditis you know um, areas around the valves here that um, look damaged or inflamed or infected yeah and, and again we tend to look at the heart muscle if it's had a infarction and um, you know you'll see that it's a pale patch within that uh, patch of the, of the heart muscle yeah so and then uh, finally what we do is we take a section of the heart and um, for the histopathologist to have a look so then the histopathologist look at it underneath the microscope yeah. Yeah, and see exactly. if they can see anything. Totally. So, again, I'm just trying to get them a, a section that uh, includes the right side, the left side, and the and this section of the of the 
middle of the heart, the septum, so that's the right side there, the thinner bit, you can see how thick that bit is, yep. that's the left hand side and that's the septum between it and that goes in yep. the pot. So including so, it all allows them to check that both sides and it, all parts exactly. of the heart are abnormal. Exactly, and we're not missing anything abnormal uh, that's going on. So I'm just, yeah. So, good example, but all looks reasonably all looks normal healthy. on this one, but that's, that's, that's a good sign. Uh, much about process of elimination. Absolutely. Um, so that's right. And um, we've not got a lot left as you can see. But, not um, much left in the sheet now. Got, exactly. We're gonna check the, the the urinary tract system. Okay. Okay, so obviously I've got kidneys on either side. Yeah, you can see here the uh, uterus yep. and that's the ovaries. So they're tiny, obviously, because this is just quite a young lamb. Yeah. But we know that that's intact. And there's the bladder there. Which again, there's not a lot in the bladder. But sometimes we, we take a urine sample. Okay. Okay. So there's, there's plenty of fat around. There's often fat around kidney. Is that a good thing? And that's a good thing. That's, yes, reasonable body condition. This lamb wasn't, you know, it wasn't the best lamb, but it wasn't, it wasn't emaciated. <laughs> no, exactly. So um, I'm just going to have a look into the kidneys. So he's holding the kidney and cutting it open. Yeah. And having a look at the structures inside. And it's two kidney so, bean-like structures exactly. he's got now. And it peels away nicely, which is, which is again, is a, a, a good finding. That's pretty normal for a fresh kidney. So we'll uh, just take these out. And so I'm looking at the, 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 the outer cortex here, which is that structure yep. coming round. Out, kind of then, the outside of yeah, it. Yeah, and then the medulla, which is the inner part, which is this bit here, which is a bit whiter, isn't it, a bit clearer. And then into the, um, what they call the renal pelvis here, which is where all the urine, once it's made, is, is getting funneled down and then we'll trap down the ureters into the bladder. Okay. Okay, so again, we'll, we'll, we'll take some sections to have a look at uh, under the microscope. Um, and we'll also we'll sometimes collect these for trace elements. Um, but again, if they're things like lead poisoning, and um, particularly the, the kidneys are where the lead gets concentrated. Right. So that's where we tend to, to find, find it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Excellent. So um, our... Uh, so sometimes we take samples um, for the lead analysis and often we'll use the kidneys as our elements, uh, the area to, to sample. We just store these and we don't always send them off, um, but we've got them. Okay. Because we can't get them back once they're in the bin. So if you send them off, what makes you decide to send them off or not send them off? Um, well, I guess sometimes we'll, um, if it's, if, for, for example, we'll, we will send the liver off in this one because we want to know about the trace elements. Um, so off, it's just really what the history is. Obviously, if this sheep had come in and uh, there was something that was obviously wrong with it, say, for example, it had you know, a lung lesions and, or a pastoral or something along those lines, yeah. we wouldn't necessarily rush to send everything off for trace elements because it may well not be involved in the case. You know, our job, I guess, is trying to find a diagnosis for why this animal either died or in this case was in such a poor condition. So we tend to focus our tests on what's 
yeah, was, finding the solution. Which is why we've done the worm count on this one. We wouldn't necessarily always do the worm count. Yeah. Yeah, and we have a lot of samples in storage that, because of the LIMS software, we then go through and discard any samples that the case has been completed for. So okay. we can go into LIMS and see that the case has been solved as such, and then go and bin the, the samples that are associated with that case because they're not needed anymore. So you keep them until the case is completed? Yeah. And then you've got them there in case it's incomplete and you can send them off and yeah. find something else. But we also have a, a retained indefinitely section, so if there's anything that the vets find that is particularly interesting or that they would like to look at further, we do have a, an area where those cases are kept that are a few years old now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're now going to remove the frame. So Ian's cut off the head. And yeah, left yeah. it for Connie's. Then we'll take the, the brain out of this lamb and we use this so it's uh, like very vicious looking <laughs> clamp vice. Um, but obviously, you know, it's, it, it's great having this because it holds everything steady and uh, you'll see in a minute how we use that to safely take the brain out. Trying to do this on farm without the vice is it's very difficult. challenging to put so, so what are you looking for in the remains of the carcass? Yeah, just having a quick check, make sure I haven't missed anything. I'm going to take a little bit of um, of the, the muscle off the uh, of off the rib cage. Um, again, just for looking for white muscle disease, um, which is another challenging thing that we sometimes find. Um, so I'm just going to take some resection muscle. So he's just. Cutting down the side of the ribs to get the muscle. And that yeah, will also get sent away to histology. Yeah. While we're doing that, Connie has put the sheep's head into the clamp, the vice. Yeah, and it's holding it still and she's yeah, it's then important it's held very still. Yeah. There have been circumstances, especially with an animal with horns, that it's really hard to then try and manipulate it in the first place. But it's really important that the the skull is held still for safety as well as for being able to remove the brain properly. So firstly we take the skin off the head. Same as Ian before, I have a cut proof glove on my non-cutting hand. Make sure you don't take your fingers off. Yeah, that would be good. And what we try and do is just expose as much of the back of the head as possible at this stage. So you're just kind of de-skinning the head. Yes, yeah. Well, it's harder on smaller animals. It takes a little bit more sweat with a bull, <laughs> but it's a little bit easier. Not more fiddly with a little animal. Yeah. So sometimes it's easier once you expose the top of the head to try and reposition it to expose almost the back down. So you're saying in between the, the ears? Yeah, that's where I would like. I would like the skin off right down the back, and I'll take all this off as well because this is where I'm going to make my first incision between where the two where the ears are, up over the head. Yeah, so you're wanting all the skin off from yeah. the front of the head, round to the back of the head, past the ears and beyond. Yeah. So whilst Connie is cutting the ears off and all the skin off the back of the head, Ian is continuing to cut away the rest of the carcass. Yeah, so what I'm are you looking for now? checking the joints of the, the joint surface. Um, so that's obviously the shoulder joint there. You so what see do you normal look for? joint fluid 
So yeah, I'm just checking to see there's no um, uh, like arthritis or any you know changes like that. So obviously that's a smooth lining. You feel that? So keep getting you feel things. Well, that is very smooth. So now, yeah. And that's normal. That's where your normal joint surface. So there's a bit of fluid between the joints. Yeah. Uh, the bones slide over one another, and we're just checking to make sure we're not missing any. arthritic changes and you would normally see damage to the lining of the joint and I'm not seeing any there. That I'm guessing you find more arthritis if it comes in lean yeah, or exactly, if it's older. Exactly. But um, you know we do get like I guess joint ill in yeah. lambs um, and you, you So you'd be able to find that when you opened up the Exactly joint. or that would be another reason you know the farmer didn't say the lamb was lame it wasn't lame when it came in when we looked at it but you just never so again, just for completeness sake, we'll just have a look at, the, uh, at all the different joints um, and making sure we're not missing anything. So yes, yeah, so we're just taking the skin off down the sides of the legs to then be able to get into the hocks. Yep. You can hear the cracking of the bones. So again, that looks normal, so it's good. So, so he does this with all four legs, um, yeah. just to make sure all of them look normal. There might be something missed if you just check one. So what I've done at this point is I've skinned most of my head. I'm still not happy with what I should have taken off. I'm going to try to do more behind the eye socket. So then what I would do at this point is mark with my knife where I would like to incise on the skull. Okay. So it would be up at this angle here. So what we aim for is between here and then to the inner eye. Yep. So somewhere about here, but the skin has a bit of flesh on it, so I need to... So yeah, cutting some of the brain stem up towards the eye is what she's hoping to do. Yeah. But tidying up the sheep's head will make it easier when it comes to it. The less flesh and skin, I suppose, it has on it means that my... When it comes to using this... Using the saw. Yeah. It totally depends on the case, however. You Sometimes we don't take the brain. Um, sometimes, for example, we had a bull last week that was over four years old so we had to take the brain stem for PSE. Okay. But um, I was on duty last week and I thought I was gonna have to take the brain out of it and I knew it would take a lot of sweat. <laughs> Six hundred kilograms but they decided that they didn't need the brain in that case um, and swab the brain stem instead. So we could take a swab at this point of the brain stem yeah. send that away and possibly have a look at things like Yeah, because kind of some liquid around the brain stem. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do at this point is mark where we want to go with the, with the Yeah, brain. so using the knife, she's marking the lines. She wants to use the saw on. Yeah, she wants the saw to bite. So Connie is sawing into the skull of the lamb. So one side's done, and then she saw the other side as well. So what I've done at this point is I have cut from both sides of the brainstem, and what I'm going to do now is it's almost like a pentagon. I'm going to try and join both of these lines between almost, the, I mean, it's not really between the eyes, it's more rostrally towards the nose. Thank you. 
far. How the, I've cut this with the blade is that the, the top of the skull should just peel back. So she's using a chisel to try and peel back the top of the skull now that she has sawed the lines. And she's got a hammer to help her get it further where needed. So what should be able to happen now is I should be able to peel the top of the skull back. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought getting into a skull would be easy. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't look good. I actually thought it was going to be easier when I started this job and then, no. It's a challenge to choose the least. Okay, so there's the brain there. So Chloe's managed to pull the top of the skull off. You can see it's still being held to the skull. So the, the brain is being held to the skull by the meninges. So in order to remove the brain properly, I need to cut the meninges off so that the brain just kind of, it's not a great to think of it, but just kind of flops out the head, yep. slides out backwards, yeah. So it's important that organs are fixed properly, but it's also important that well, health and safety is also very important. So when these organs are preserved with the formula, that's done in a fume hood up the stairs. And then if these samples are to be sent off to Edinburgh, sometimes we keep them for a few more days and then drain the formalin off just so that we're not exposing people in Edinburgh to as much formalin but and is a formalin toxic or yes. something? Yes, yeah. It's it's uh, very important that it's dealt with in a few hood. It burns your your earrings and it's not nice. Even if you've had a, a tub with formalin in it and then open it, it's, it smells really bad. Trimmed off the skull from the brain. Yep, and then we just cut them in injuries. So what the vets might look for at this point is congestion in the brain. So the colouring of the brain is important as well as the presence of these blood vessels. Yeah. This colouring looks um, reasonably okay, but sometimes the brain may appear congested, which may infer a neurological disorder. Or... The length of the brain, for reference, I would say I have pretty normal sized hands. And the length of the brain from the back of the, the medulla to the front cortex is about four fingers. So just the width of the four fingers. Yeah. So yeah, it's not that big at all. And then that's going into a pot. Yeah, this will go into a pot. And then up the stairs and it'll be fixed with formalin and then depending on what Ian thinks is wrong with the case, this will then get sent away. You might want to have a look at the head. Sometimes the head is severed in half and then they look at the dentition or the sinuses for inflammation in the head. But I'm unsure in this case if you would want to have a look at that. Ian, do you want to have another look at the head? Or? Yeah, Ian's been washing down and cleaning the table which the lamp was on originally, just to clean the place up again and make it smell nicer. So he's cutting in from the bottom of the chin into the jaw. So he struggled to get in with a knife, so he's got the saw to saw into it. Just let's just have a look in the, at the teeth. So he's opened up the lower jaw so then we can see what the teeth are like on yeah. the upper jaw. Exactly, and the So we're just checking to make sure there's no obvious uh, dental disease, which obviously is uh, more likely in the older 
animals, but it's not possible. So that's uh, that all looks normal. So opening it up to see inside the nose, what would you then be looking for? Um, just to have a look at the the inside the nose and the, the nasal structures, um, you occasionally can get some parasitic infections up there. Okay. So you've sawn the head in half so you can then clearly see the inside. See now. Just having a look at the the structures of the of the nose. So that all looks normal, but again if we don't look yeah, you've got to know. check just in yeah, case. Absolutely. So that's, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's our that's post mortem. <laughs> There's nothing obvious on gross post mortem on this one, so I think we're going to have to do further tests, which is why I've done the worm count, and we will definitely do the liver for the copper and cobalt selenium levels. So yeah. I'll have to hang my hat on it. I'd say that may well be a. Yeah. So it's just been slow, slow growing, so probably yeah, expected to get smaller things. Or, or the worms or both. Okay. But we will tell. <laughs> well, we can see what so, the So, you know, we don't say. always get an answer straight. Sometimes it's really obvious why something's died. Yeah. And then other times it's not obvious and yep. we have to do all these extra tests. And it's only really until we get everything back that we actually find out what's wrong. And then you can make a, make a decision exactly. that's exactly that, the problem. That, you know, that takes time. Yeah. And that's a really important point for farmers to remember is that for us to do bacteriology, we have to send the sample up to Edinburgh, which will go tonight, they'll get there tomorrow. They'll set the place up and then they can incubate that for a week, 10 days. Right. So, so it does start, like it's not just yeah, doing the post-mortem on the table, do it in one day, exactly, you've got to incubate. And, and I, you know, when, when the shoes on the other foot, when, when I was in practice, that was quite a common kind of phone call. There's no results. But actually, it could probably take two weeks it's, to get the results back. Yeah, and obviously, we like to get the results as quick as we can for everybody. That's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. But in some circumstances, it's really obvious we could have an answer now. Yeah. And there's other cases where we wouldn't have the answer at all. And we'd have to wait until all this stuff comes back. And it's only once everything comes back that we can made the judgment call, yes, it's this. Okay. So it's just one of those, it, <laughs> until you understand the process, it can be really difficult to... Yeah. It's easy to get impatient wanting the results. Yes, and, and we know, because we want to get the results as quick as we can. Yeah. But sometimes, especially when we're waiting for these extra tests, bacteria grow at the rate they grow at. Yeah. But it's we better, can't make that any quicker. Yeah, it's better waiting for it and doing it thoroughly than jumping exactly. to conclusions. Um, so, you know, that, that's, the, that's the challenge. Um, and obviously, we, we try and turn things around as quick as we can. But it, it, it inevitably takes just a little bit. And how well. often do you find out exactly what's happened? And how often is it still a slight bit of mystery? Um, I mean, the diagnostic rate, again, it depends what condition we're looking for because some. Some diseases have really good diagnostic tests that are really high sensitivity and specificity and therefore we, we can very quickly and uh, accurately give a diagnosis. And then there are other diseases that we deal with that, that, that just we haven't got the tests that are as good. Yeah. So, so that, 
hinders the <laughs> process. So that's actually a really good question, but it's a really hard question to yeah, give you an honest answer because it depends what conditions we're looking at. And I'm yeah. guessing the process of elimination on some of these things are very useful for farmers when absolutely. making the health plans and making plans. Uh, with oh, their absolutely, and, and you know, and I think that there's a huge value out of doing it because we're screening for lots of things. So, unlike on this case, we've we've certainly noticed that there's, you know, the lungs were very clean on this animal. Well, that that immediately gives us a good idea that actually there's no respiratory disease yeah. ongoing in this particular animal and that's quite useful information to feed back to the farmer so, so we can rule out common things are common yeah and we often rule out lots of common things yeah which is really valuable information yeah but you know that's that's again you know sometimes people would get frustrated because we don't find something and i always say to the farms that's a good thing <laughs> you, <laughs> you can not. use that information <laughs> yeah. as well they're almost disappointed that we haven't found something awful well Actually, if you look at it from a different point of view, that's a really good for the farm um, health history, isn't it? Yeah. What information does a farmer need to provide when they bring in an animal? Yeah, I mean, uh, we we like to know, you know, age, breeds, how many's in the group, how many you've lost, how many are looking ill, um, and you know, obviously we record the tag numbers and things that come in appropriate so um, we like to know vaccination history we like to know treatment history particularly worms um, and antibiotics if that's appropriate so yeah it's really useful for us to know that and then any farm history or oh, i've had a problem with unis for years or i've yeah. got my division or yeah do you, do you see what i mean so any any of that information because quite often the the farmer might not be the person that brings it in could be whoever's free on the farm yeah. to bring it down. So, so we don't, yeah. Any information you can exactly, get. Yeah. And obviously, we try and work with the vets as closely as well because often they might be able to give us a few nuggets of information that we might not have gleaned at the start. Yeah. But the process normally is PMSOs like Connie will meet you out again here, take a history. Often they come and find the vet who's on duty and for doing post mortems and they might ask some other pertinent questions as well. We try not to delay people. But it's really handy to have the information before we start doing the process rather than doing it the other way around. That sounds good. And in this case, you've had a lamb brought in that uh, was in a group that we're just all doing poorly. Yeah. Is this something you would recommend if a farmer finds a group of animals doing poorly, or even the whole flock doing poorly? Uh, absolutely, because we often will get you an answer much more cost effectively by doing a postmortem than we will do by doing other tests sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can't save the second one if you didn't know why the first one died. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that sounds excellent. You're definitely very thorough doing post-mortem and looking at every part of the animal as well. So, I mean, in the coal-use screen particularly, that would be an area that I think we should really, uh, a lot of sheep farmers should try and, you know, we can, we can do a coal-use screen for under £100 for four animals. That's less than... That's, find an animal. that's a bargain. It's massive value, and we can run every test that we need to, to try and gain a diagnosis. Yeah. And, and, and the farms that are doing that are getting huge value out of it. Now is the time of year to do it. Um, you know, most yeah. people are sorting out, and they the lambs are weaned, things are sold off. And they're, they're, they're preparing for tupping. They've probably got their culls identified. Yeah. Some of those may be in poor, particularly if they're thin. They may, they may be not particularly 
valuable anyway, yeah. you could probably get much more value out of letting us do a post-mortem. So, yeah. we, we so we basically do a batch price for four animals. So four animals value. under £100. Ah, and massively. you'll be able to potentially, they've got a disease or an yeah. ailment, which the yeah. whole flock's got, but those so ones are just more affected at the minute. Yeah, exactly. And we've done some, and we often are then looking for those iceberg diseases like Yonis, like Mighty like Yaxiti or, or OPA, we call it. Um, you know, all of these things, border disease. We're screening for all these big iceberg diseases that are there, but they're really hard sometimes to know they're there. And yeah. if you don't look for them, not going to bite there. them. So good to bring an animal or two or four. Well, for yeah, as I said, the batch, the batch thing is really good value. It's massive value. Yeah. I think it's under. I think I think probably a lot. Some farmers don't realise how you know obviously it's subsidised some of the services that we do. Right, um, they are subsidised. So, you know, um, obviously part of the funding here is from Scottish Government for surveillance, you know, that's a, that's really why we're here for animal surveillance. Yep, so the animals should bring in what you find gets reported to them as well. Uh, yes, but no, obviously confidentially, they, yes. they don't know which farm or, or, or anything like that, but um, I think the, the important point there is that um, sometimes if we did an, if an individual test, so if, an animal, if a farmer um, didn't bring in a you and the vet went out and they did a post-mortem like we've just done, and they took a sample of the liver, and they took some guts, and they did a worm egg count, and they took the brain, and you know, if they did all these different things, and they sent all of those in for us to individually do, yeah, the cost would be in the hundreds. Yeah, it was it's huge. So it is value for money. Whereas doing it the other way, if you bring us the sheep and we can harvest the right samples at the right time, we get you, you get a huge amount of testing done. For, for, for very little, you know, essentially very little. Yeah. And, and so it's massively valuable. Um, and I think it's underused. Yeah. So, yeah. Any flock keeper should, you know, if they've got their calls identified and they want to make sure that they haven't got these iceberg diseases, then this is one of the really cost effective ways of testing. Yeah. Sounds excellent. Great. Thank you, Ian and Connie. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure. A week has passed since the post-mortem was carried out and I got in touch with Ian to find out the final results. The lamb was found to have a significant worm burden. There was a high total worm count from the abomasum and would suggest flock production losses would be expected. Additionally, the worm count from the faeces were high as well, at 1,400 eggs per gram. Anything over 750 eggs per gram, um, worming treatment would be recommended. The liver was tested for trace elements and it showed extremely low selenium and cobalt levels. The liver copper levels were normal. No significant bacteria were grown from routine cultures of the lungs and liver. So overall, the high worm burden and concurrent low trace element levels would be responsible for the poor condition and clinical signs noted on arrival. You do have to be careful when interpreting one individual result. The farmer's vet has taken further blood samples from other sheep in the group to look at the trace element status. Additionally, the group is going to be wormed again and it has been recommended a post-drench check after worming should be carried out to make sure it has worked effectively. 
thank you to all the researchers who are taking their time to participate in this eight-part series, providing an interesting insight into their research and findings. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you have enjoyed it. You can find out about all the other podcasts in the series on the Farm Advisory Service website or from your usual podcast provider, along with many other podcasts available on a whole range of topics. You can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service and the work we are doing by visiting our website on www.fas.scot or if you need advice, please call the helpline on 0300 32 30 161.